Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for another episode of Illuminate. If this is your first time listening, we'd recommend jumping back a few episodes to the beginning of this conversation we've been having with our friend Chris Kilgore on engaging with scripture as a spiritual discipline. Today is our third and final part, so let's go ahead and jump right in. All right, well, let's shift into this area of a conversation, which I think is one that as people who either work in a church, have gone to school for some sort of Christian thing, whether it be hermeneutics, you know, whether they've been in classes or whatever, how much, you know, I think it's important for us to kind of address this idea of basically what to read scripture with, because like we maybe mentioned earlier in a previous episode, we can change what scripture means based on how we're interpreting sure. interpreting it. And so I think, you know, it's it's a story, my, my mother-in-law, and I'm not calling her out because I, I completely agree with her because she doesn't like to read the Bible with something all the time. Mm-hmm. She just sometimes likes to read scripture. Yeah. And so we were kind of having this, not argument, but just conversation about when to read it with a commentary or, or even if that's an important thing to do because, you know, we should have our own thoughts about scripture while also having the truth behind scripture. And so I think it kind of comes down to this. There's a lot of things available out there for us um, that can help us understand the context of a passage, the authorship, the audience that it's being spoken to. It kind of comes down to how much, and I don't know if the term average Christian is a good term, <laughs> but how much should we as Christians kind of be looking into those things? Should we do that every single time we're reading Scripture? Should we read Scripture with a commentary? Um, and then kind of with that, I guess, how much is too much in that? You know, is it if we're reading it with a commentary every time and we're never really thinking about it on our own or we're talk- we've talked about questioning Scripture and-, and looking at Scripture with questions, if we're always answering that with somebody else's interpretation of Scripture, does that hinder us in some aspect of our own personal individual relationship with God? Mm-hmm. Um, I know those are tons of puked-up questions right there, but <laughs> kind of starting off just with the, how much of context, authorship, audience, how much how important is that for the for the average Christian? Yeah. I think you can probably look illustratively at um, if you catch a television show in mid-season. You know, if you see, you haven't watched anything else, and you now see episode seven. Um, if you watch episode seven and eight, you can probably catch up with the storyline, understand a little bit about the characters, and, and know enough to enjoy it. Particularly if you're with someone, here's, and here's where I think community is important if you're, if you're just entering into it. If you're with someone who has seen the whole thing, then they, if there are little details that you need to know, they can actually fill you in on those details while you're watching together. But at some point, you don't get the fullness of the impact of the thing unless you go back to episode one and start and watch. Yeah. So I think there, there really is a part of us that, you know, and that's, that's where piecemeal reading verses, and I, I'm fine with devotionals. I think devotionals are good and they're wonderful and, and they're very helpful, honestly, as a supplement. But I think if we're not actually starting at some point in the beginning of a book of the Bible and, and trying to read through it, we, we're not, we're starting in episode five and we're, you know, and then we wonder sometimes, well, why don't I understand this? Or why did some preacher on, you know, that I, that I heard, you know, completely interpret this differently than I did when I read it? Well, because there is a context and context matters. I do think that we will pursue what we value. 
And so if we value scripture and a little bit to our earlier conversation, if we value scripture as the thing that's going to get us through this moment, then we will not seek to understand the context of the scriptures. If we seek the scriptures as the foundation point of our life that is supposed to change us in an integrative way, then we will certainly seek context in the scriptures. We will, le- we will look for ways to understand what the original context was, what the original language meant, in places where it's confusing. Uh, I, so I, it really does, a lot of it comes down to, des- to desire. I mean, but every discipline has got to be rooted in desire. Even if it's not rooted in delight initially, it has to be rooted in desire. So I, for, as far as context and authorship and, and audience and, and some of those things, it, it does matter. It matters deeply. I mean, I don't care who you are. I don't care. Some people aren't built and designed to say, I'm going to read five or six books on the context of, of 1 Corinthians. Yeah. Um, they're just not going to. And that doesn't mean they don't love God. It doesn't mean they don't love the Bible. It doesn't mean that they don't love to read. It doesn't mean they don't get anything from it. They're just not gonna. And so I do think that there is, there's a way to read the scriptures plainly and God reveal the scriptures, you know, powerfully without you going to a whole lot, in, into a whole lot of, of depth and, and bringing a lot of resources in. But I also think if you want to master something, you, there's a certain amount of time and effort that you put into it. And, and so to the degree that you desire mastery, you, you will pursue those sources, you know, helps, study guides, um, and they don't have to be complicated. You know, they don't have to be written right. in Greek. I mean, but you know, there, there's a lot of stuff that's easy to read that, that you can kind of okay, I didn't know this, and really, and that's that's where you're taking that you're taking that gem and you're just turning it a little bit. Like the context turns it a little bit, so I see a different aspect. I see different facets inside that jewel, and and I I, I can be enamored with that one view that I've always had. But man, if if context or or language can turn it just a little bit, then suddenly I see something else that I haven't seen, and and yeah. and so it, it enriches your experience of the scriptures. Yeah, yeah, I'd say like on a practical level, for someone who has that passion, who you know wants to really dive deep and and study the word and and get those knowledge components, um, we've kind of thrown out the the words genre and context and canon. Um, if you had to summarize a Bible class <laughs> on <laughs> what elements comprise a book of the Bible. Um, what what are some of those questions to ask, you know, in yeah. regards to those elements? I think if you're coming if you're coming cold to a book of the Bible, it would help to know the time period it was written and what was going on in the world at that time. Yeah. Uh, but that that's that's with any any piece of literature as well if if it matters. Um, you would want to know the author and who they were, what they did for a living and and if there's any indication in the book itself, you would want to know why they wrote that manuscript. Um, coming into that manuscript, uh, from that, from from the con- the context, which is the time period it's written in, and what's going on in that time period, and then the authorship, uh, you you can sort of understand the you would then determine the the genre, which which is is tricky in the Bible because the Bible will shift within books, like it yeah. will shift from poetry to history to law, all those kind of things. Um, but but you would want to know at least so so the book of Genesis contains at, at least those those three things: poetry, history, and law. You would want to know like okay what. What are the passages that that's not obvious? Like where, where, where are the passages that, that that turns and I might be apt to miss the turn into a different genre because you read poetry different than you read in history. But um, so I think that knowing the, the context, the author, the genre are, are important things because if, if you can understand that, then, then you, you don't walk into it differently. Like if, if, you, if you look at the U.S. 
joining World War II, and you just start that story when U.S. troops land in Europe, then you don't understand the story. Like, you have to talk about Pearl Harbor if you want to understand the U.S.'s involvement in World War II. And, and so if, if, you want to, if you want to look at the book of Ruth and understand the book of Ruth, for one thing, you have to know that Samuel probably wrote it, um, and, and that also it's taking place in the time of the judges. So you want to go back and look at the, at the book of Judges as well to see all of the chaos and just the, you know, the, the maelstrom of, of, of stupidity that's going on throughout that book. And, and so like, you'll understand it more when you see that it's written from a prophet's perspective about a time that was deeply idolatrous. And, and so all of that sets the stage. And you'll understand Ruth better. Now, that doesn't mean you can't read Ruth and get something out of the story. It's this love story and you know Ruth and Boaz and whatever. But... I mean, I shouldn't have whatever it is, I suppose, but I mean, it is important. But, but the depths of understanding and the richness of the text are seen in understanding why it was written, when it was written, who wrote it. Uh, those would be the three things. Why it was written, when it was written, and who wrote it. Those would be the three fundamental things that I would say if you want a biblical interpretation, sort of Cliff Notes class, those are the three things that matter the most to me. Um, and and I, mean, I guess there's other things you could get into, language structure, you know, if there's little things like chiastic structures in the text, or, or, or if there are some words that are going to be so, some, some either Hebrew or Greek words are going to have such a large spectrum that you want to understand the spectrum of meaning, then yeah, that stuff matters to, to, to a certain degree. But really, if you're just starting, then I think just to know when it was written, who wrote it, and, and why they wrote it is, is enough. I want to talk about the desire aspect just really quickly because I think that this kind of comes back to the conversation with my mother-in-law, right? Like it's one of those things where it's like, I get that not everyone is going to have the desire to read those five books about it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, as a Christian, as a believer who has all these things readily available through so many different avenues now in our day and age, it's one of those things where as a Christian, like we're called to try to master this. And I think that that's where for me, the difficulty lies in the prioritization of time and, and other things when it comes to this, when we say this word desire, because there are times when I don't desire to do those things. Mm -hmm. And yet I know from, and we talked about that already, I, I know to still do it. And I think that that's where then the question then becomes, even if the desire isn't there, how do we still master it? You know what I mean? Like if the desire to not master it is not there, mm -hmm. then what do we do? What, what's the next step there? Yeah. Philip Yancey said, I can't remember what book it was in, but he, he said, um, we do out of discipline what we hope to one day do out of delight. Yeah. And I think when we, again, this is about making a decision. Christianity, you know, the old song still holds true. I have decided to follow Jesus. Now he lured me, he wooed me, his grace is beautiful and the cross is incredible and the resurrection is wonderful and I, I look forward to greater days and brighter days. But I decided to follow Jesus. Like he called me and I decided, okay, what you have I want and I will follow you wherever that takes me. The problem with following Jesus is that it follows you into places where you have to carry crosses. And so it's not always easy, it's difficult. And I think when you come to the scriptures, if you have decided to to make that a, a central part of your life. And I can think that's, that's, with every spiritual discipline, the trouble with those disciplines is that there is a great temptation to try to bolt those things onto the side of your life as it is, instead of letting them root into the center of your life and change you. Yeah. And I think that's, anytime you, like, you can bolt an engine onto the side of a car if the engine in the car isn't working. And it might get you down the road for a while, but that's not the way the car was designed to work. Like, it will never be what it was designed to be when it's just sort of slapped on the side. It has to be integrated and, and, and it has to become a part of you at the, at the deepest levels. And, and so I think when you devote yourself and you say, I mean, I'll say this, 
you never devote yourself to read commentaries. You say, I want to know the scriptures, and so if my desire for the scriptures and understanding of the scriptures is great enough, then it will lead me to add other things that help me understand right. a full-bodied sort of um, undistilled view of, yeah. of what is being said. And, and so, I mean, it, that, that's where I think desire comes into play. And so, it, again, it, if desire is just that I get a little pep in the morning so I can make it through the day and not kill anybody, great. But, but if desire is, I want this to be my identity. Yeah. Like, I don't want anything other than Jesus to be my identity, and he has given me his word as a part of that. Then, then you will functionally behave differently because of that great desire and because yeah. of the nature of that desire. I yeah, think. yeah. And then on the flip side of that coin, then what is too much, right? Because we have preachers, sermons, studies, biblical books, podcasts, podcasts right? <laughs> well, the funny thing is probably all those things are in a podcast format, right? And we have, we have thousands if not millions of things readily available to us. Like for me, I listen. To, I try to listen to four to five sermons of different people every week just to kind of hone in a skill and to see, okay, this is what they're doing that I really like that I would love to replicate. And this is something that, you know, I see it that I'm doing that I can. I don't see it myself, but I see it in them that I don't want to do type thing. And, and it's this really beautiful picture. And I do that with books and I do that with all these things. But then I can start to feel, oh gosh, like, yeah. bogged down like and then like what you said like you read fantasy for a break I like fantasy is a or, or fiction sorry yeah, not yeah. fantasy but that was a distinction <laughs> that needs to be made I do apologize it's, it's all uh, right. uh, uh, and so fiction right like reading something for me that's just fun yeah and sometimes those books are fun sometimes listening to those sermons are fun yeah but yeah. you know th- there's a flip side of the coin of sometimes I guess the question is then how much is too much mm-hmm. yeah I, I think you know I, I think right. that this is a this is a a thermometer barometer question where everybody has a different capacity. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think in seasons we have a different capacity than we have in other seasons. Yeah. So I, I think, I remember in, in school, like when I, because I, I went back, I got my master's after, you know, we had two kids and I was working full time, a lot of hours each week. And so I added, you know, 25 to 30 hours a week doing that. And it was just a bad idea. <laughs> and honestly, I, I, it's neither here nor there. That would just be a counseling session if I went on. But um, I, I know that in, in trying to figure out how to absorb more information than I had the capacity to absorb, what ultimately happened was is, is that absorption became mechanical and not organic. Mm. And I think at some point, mechanical things can still help you functionally, and they can help you in terms of technique, but they can never actually change your identity. Yeah. Like what you can receive organically in that moment. Like you can overwater a plant. I mean, and, and so if you overwater it, it's not healthy. It, it just drowns the plant or it, it causes the root system to want to float and it loses its foundation. And so I think you have to, when you get to the point where you're exhausted, that's probably a good sign that you've overwatered just a little bit. And I think, and again, some seasons though, man, you've got to do what you've got to do because if you have to accomplish something or finish something, then you do what you have to do, but with the hope that you're going to Sabbath. Because I think Sabbath is that is that day or that season when you say, I've got so much in me, and, and it's it's all here, and it's not get, it's all in my brain. Sorry, this is a microphone, not a video camera. But it's all in my brain, and it's not it's never getting the opportunity to filter into my heart. Yeah. And I think when when you have, you know, when you've created a log jam with information, and so nothing is ever getting from here to here, then you you have created a moment of of well, it's just too much. And and if I mean some people and. They can read constantly and absorb information, remember information. I envy them. They can listen to people and they get it. And, and, and again, I do believe that the multiplicity of voices is important. I believe it is. There, there is something about that that creates creativity. 
Yeah. So I think it's Tim Keller I heard who said, like, if you listen to one person preach, or if you read one author, you'll become a parrot. But if you listen to a thousand people preach or read a thousand different authors, then you will understand what your voice actually sounds like. And so that idea that I think we do have to have more than just one thing. But, you know, where that line is, I think it has a lot to do with being self-reflective and saying, you know, okay. And maybe that means for one day a week, none of that stuff is part of it. You know, you do just read the Bible. You know, maybe I take Thursdays and I say, I'm just going to read the scriptures and I'm not going to allow all the other voices in. I'm going to give myself time to let that stuff seep and, and, and saturate instead of just, you know, pounding more stuff in my head. Because there is a distance between head and heart. And I think that that, yeah. that capacity in your head has to determine what you can process and get into your heart. Yeah. So ultimately, the goal is not to have your head full. That, yeah. I think that, that's ultimately the goal. Is not Spiritual disciplines are not about knowing more stuff. Yeah. Spiritual disciplines are about becoming a new person and, and along the way. And so um, with the scriptures, it is the same thing. I mean... Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I, if I have all of that knowledge, but I don't have love, but I can't actually walk differently, I can't live differently, I can't interact with people differently, then all of that stuff is, is worthless. Like, it's, it's sounding brass and it's clean and simple. Like, there's nothing about it that is actually helpful to me. And so um, I think that, that's where some of that line is a personal line. But also I think there's probably practices you put in place, like taking a day off from all the other stuff. And, um, and, and, and that allows you to maybe reflect a little, look in that mirror like James says. You know, you look in the mirror, you see what you look like. If you need to change, then you change. I think that that's what separates this from spiritual disciplines, Christianity, from any other thing, that it's not just to fill your head, it's to change your heart. And I think that that's the, that's the distinction that has to be made. And I think that that's where what you said earlier, that's where I think it is. God treats us differently because of our circumstance, not because he loves us any differently, right. but because he has a full perspective of the circumstance that we're in mm-hmm. and which changes how he interacts with us, how he speaks to us, and all those things. And I think that that's the important distinction to make is that it has to be this honest self-reflection where you say, this is too much, or I'm not doing enough. And it has it has to be an honest, it, you can't, we can lie to, I mean, I lie to myself all the time, with, you know, in certain things like, I'm doing enough. Or, you know, I'm fine. I can keep I can keep trying to read through. Like, I had a goal. I still have a goal to read through a book a week. Mm-hmm. But sometimes my yeah. week is so crazy. And when I still try to do that, I'm just reading through a book to get through it. Right. And then I go back and I, like, it's what's so amazing about Grace, which you recommended when you were on the pod for the first time. Mm-hmm. I read through it in class and I was reading through it to get through it. Yeah. And look, I read it again. Didn't under, didn't realize half the things that were in there were in there. You know what I mean? And it was just this. But it was because I said I'm not. I, I it took a month to get through that book. Not because it was just because I wanted to really soak in everything that he was saying. And because things that he was saying, I was then taking and going. Oh, let's go read the scripture real yeah. quick because that's oh my gosh. And we're going and researching those stories that he was talking about and getting to see different moments of grace and ungrace. And I think that's what it has to do in our life. Is it, it does take it from our head and puts it into our heart. And you have to be able to know, you have to be self-aware in a sense of, okay, this is too much or this isn't enough. And the problem is that a lot of times, because people aren't self-aware, I feel like they just don't ever do it. Because they're like, well, I'm scared and I don't really know what is too much. Hmm. The problem is you have to get into it. You just have to do it to know what is, you have to experiment. Oh, that was too much. I'm drained. Okay, take a Sabbath. Take a rest. Or, oh man, I'm not even feeling filled at all. Okay, well, that probably means I need to add some more. You know, and I think that that's the difference in all of this. I feel like something we haven't really touched on in this idea of, you know, secondary sources, reading commentaries or great books or um, things that teach us about scriptures, sermons, um, is just the value of challenging those things and not taking anything 
but scripture as absolute truth. And I found with sermons, like I've, I've learned to have like a little red flag go off if, you know, we've reached 20 minutes in and no scripture has been shared. Mm-hmm. I'm, it's making me wonder like, yeah. now what are we talking about? Like, are, are we really rooted in truth? Because mm-hmm. I, I haven't heard the scripture to like match up with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not going to toss out everything you're saying, but I'm, I'm definitely going to question it. I'm yeah. going to feel yeah. a little uneasy right. Right. <laughs> like, sure, if sure. we're not, right. if we're grounded in your life stories versus like what God has to say. Um, yeah. And so I think, I think it's okay to like, to challenge and, you know, even individuals like C.S. Lewis, who, who we hold up as greats, like, it's okay if you don't agree with everything they say, like, yeah. you know, yeah. like, yeah. and, and it's okay if there's someone who there's a lot of garbage that they put out, but there's one, you know, kernel of truth that they say about Matthew chapter 11. And, and you, you take that because you have checked it first against scripture not against anything else um yeah i I think that's a important um accountability and responsibility on our part and that like learning how to have that gut feeling and listening Mm -hmm. to and you you learn that by listening and reading to people that are most likely like we had this conversation with uh the uh i kiss dating goodbye guy Mm -hmm. uh who denounced the faith and everything like um oh gosh what's his name oh it's gonna kill me you keep thinking, I'll keep talking. And I think that, or Josh even Harris. Josh Harris, and or even like a Rob Bell, mm-hmm. or even like these guys who <laughs> at the time had, or um, ooh, uh, fly fishing, dog training, uh, Haggard, Ted Haggard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, these guys who are now just the guys that fell out of the faith, I, whatever. And I'm not saying anything like lost, or, I'm not saying any of that. We're not going to make a theological statement here right now. <laughs> but talking about these guys who at the time wrote really interesting things and I've read a couple of their yeah, books yeah. or Velvet Elvis or yeah. or the book by Tag Hadry or, or those things and it's like there are still good things that they were saying but I'm not taking everything that they're saying now at face value and I think that's where it comes back to too like all these things about audience and authorship and context that's important not just when you're reading scripture that's important of who's writing this book that I'm reading oh it's a guy who had an affair, who no longer claims to be a Christian. So I have to read what he's saying now with a new grain of salt because I'm saying, oh, this, I have to, you can, like going back and reading those books, I can see instances now where I was like, he may not have been saying those things publicly, yeah. but what he's writing about is pointing to that he has those sure. beliefs. And I think that mm-hmm. it's it's widening your range. I, I completely agree. You have to listen to people. And it takes a mature believer, right? Too. I, I don't think you should just go in and read those things that they're writing now or, or, or fallen people or people who are outside of the church world writing about Christian things. I don't think as a new believer you go and you start listening to those people right away and you're learning from those people. But it's as you as you mature as a believer, it's important to understand the difference between good and bad theology or, or good preaching and, and bad preaching. I, you know I mean? Like I, I listen to just about everyone and everyone. And I have some people go, you listen to him or you listen to her. And I'm like, yeah, because it's good to know what not to do. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> like it is. It's just as important. Yeah. yeah and, and, and a lot of times I've learned more of how not to preach for one of the biggest things I've learned. And I'm still learning is that if, if I am just telling people what to do, it's manipulation. 
But if I'm asking questions, it's direction. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the biggest thing for me that I aim to do in conversations with people. And even in this podcast, if Hannah and I are talking this entire time, which maybe we haven't done too much of, you know what I mean? It's we have you on here because we want to hear what you have to say about these things, but also because we know that you're going to spark questions in our minds and in people's minds that are listening to this. And I think that that's the beauty. And that's what makes a good speaker. That's what makes a good book is not if it's just besides the Bible and besides Jesus, yeah. it's not just telling you what to do or how to live your life, but it's saying it's sparking new desires in your heart to go and seek out those things. And that's what I think makes a good preacher. And I think now that we're mature believers, when somebody is just saying things to us, I li- you know, you listen to sermons by certain people and they'll just tell you things for 35, 40 minutes mm-hmm. straight. And for me now, that sparks, okay, I want to go look at some of these things that he's talking about and telling me. But as a new believer, I would have maybe just taken all of that at face value, yeah, saying yeah. 110% of that was correct and true. I'm not going to shift my heart because of what I've just heard. And that's where we have to balance it out with all of these different resources and things because it provides a broader picture for it, it, what Dr. Chrysler said. It expands my horizons and my knowledge so that then I can have this broader idea of who God is and a more accurate idea of who he is. And that's that's what it comes back to, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's knowing who God is and, and, and seeking out questions and having desires to, to, to answer those questions. Right. I think part of that too, and it's an important part of the conversation, is that we should be reading in community. We should communal reading of scripture is one of those things that has to that 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 definitely sharpens. And that's where younger believers, older believers can come together and and some of those who are more mature can help guide those who are younger. But those who are younger raise questions that more mature believers don't really consider all the time because you start accepting things. Um, I, I know um, monks used to, uh, when they would go into the monastic life, sometimes they would put an older monk with a younger monk who had just joined the, the monastery because the older monk is going to wake them up for the, for the hours of prayer. And the younger monk would probably not wake up, you know, his first few months there because that's not your normal habit. You know, you sleep through the night. You don't wake up at midnight to go pray. And, um, but, but, like, that idea that, that when we're connected in our reading, when we're connected in our growing we, we are not trying to do it on our own. I mean, we, we can't do it on our own. I don't think that was ever the intention. I mean, when, when the epistles were written, they were sent to the churches by Paul, and they were read openly in the church so that everybody's kind of getting this for the first time, yeah. and then they discuss, and then and, you know, maybe then, then the guy's going to exhort from, from something that Paul said. But, but ultimately, there was, it was, there was a conversation that was taking place at least as a part of that growth cycle so that there was, there was you know, you were trying to, look out for pitfalls. You were trying to look out for problems and help other people see them as well. And if you were wrong in something, maybe somebody, hopefully somebody calls you out and says, well, what about this? And what about that? And all the church councils in the first five centuries of the church, you know, this is, they're coming together to say, okay, how do we need to say this so that we're right, but also so that it's useful? And and we one person can't do that. One person is not capable of doing that other than Jesus. I mean, that's it. And yeah. and, and even the things that he says, we have to try to kind of kind of beat on and, and make sure that we're looking at from different perspectives so that as a community we say, okay, this is this is the way. And I think, you know, th- there's got to be a part of us that, and we don't do that as much, again, because in America we like to have our quiet time. Maybe it shouldn't be so quiet all the time. I mean, I, I think that maybe there should be some more open reading where, where it's it's a guided discussion. And by guided, I mean that you have a few mature believers who can put some gar- like bumpers at yeah. the bowling alley. So, man, just... Sling it down the lane. You know, yeah. we, we will be here to make sure that you don't fall into heresy. But yeah. everything between those two things is in play. Let's yeah. see what what is what is the richest, most most full bodied uh, understanding of this text. And I think that I mean that, that just makes sense to me that it is. I mean, there's got to be that part. I 
it's just that's good stuff. And I think that just the desire of our hearts, I know, is to have people really understand how Scripture enriches their life. And I think mm-hmm. this conversation has done that so far. Like, uh, we appreciate you coming on. I mean, I think there are literally some people I talk to here that say, we miss Chris speaking here. It's, it's, you know, and I think it's one of those things where, yeah, I definitely, I remember not all your sermons, but you just, you do have a gift and I think it's just beautiful to see come out in so many different avenues and this being one of them. So we do appreciate you being on and everything. Thank you all so much for walking with us through this conversation on scripture as a spiritual discipline. And a special thank you to Chris for graciously sharing your time and wisdom with us. Obviously, there are plenty more topics within this idea of scripture. We could spend whole episodes on like memorization and meditation, uh, and which we hope to dive deeper into in future episodes. But now that we've wrapped up this conversation, we'd love to get your thoughts on what you'd like to hear more about, maybe some unanswered questions you still have. Um, or just something that you've learned from this topic that you didn't know before. You can send us an email anytime to hannah at hopeandanderson.com or nathan at hopeandanderson.com. Hope you guys have a great week and we'll be back next Monday with the start of our conversation on prayer.